0: Bentner.
1: Oh boy, and Bentner! Seven!
0: Nicholas Bentner rolls it in
2: and Arsenal are setting themselves new highs.
0: Hello and welcome back to In Lockdown, brought to you by Lavazza. Today we bring you part two of our candid chat with Nicholas Bentner. If you haven't listened to the first part yet, it's still available for you to go back and listen to now before carrying on with today's show. Nicholas left Arsenal after 10 years at the club in 2014 and is back in the news after the release of his extraordinary biography, Both Sides, which is available to buy now. We pick up the interview with Nicholas looking back on his car accident in 2009.
3: Well, that's the next thing I was going to ask because the car crash had a big consequence for you, didn't it, in your in your life um, and your career as well? That was in September two thousand and nine. You crashed your car on the way to a training session um, at London Colney. In a way, you were lucky to walk away, weren't you? But it affected your body long
2: term. It did. It was. It was definitely the the most defining moment in my career mm. uh, when I crashed my car. And it it's been sort of like that. Throughout my career, it's been ups and downs, ups and downs, and and every time I had a a, f- a down on, on on the pitch, it sort of I I looked to get an up, but I I might have looked uh, the wrong wrong uh, wrong places as we spoke about just before. Um, but it was definitely a, a career defining moment for me, uh, crashing my car and it left me out for a while and had uh, different surgeries after that. Um, and still affects me to this day. It's it's affected you ever since, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you did come back that season really strongly and in March of that season you were voted Player of the Month by the Arsenal fans. You were scoring goals, yet still, Robin van Persie was seen as the number one choice up front. That must have been so frustrating for you. Obviously,
2: it was very difficult having scored many goals at, at that time when Van when, when Persie was injured. Um, and, and he was sort of the, the number one striker for Wenger. So when he got fit again, I got put aside. Obviously, mm. that's a huge disappointment. As I, I thought, I did really well at the time that he was out. So it, it was that was difficult. Of course, it was difficult. And when Percy sort of, he just kept going. I mean, he, his career at Arsenal just got better and better and better. Yeah. Um, and and he, he he is a great player. I mean, so. It wasn't like I I would sit on the bench and look in and say, like why am I not playing? I would say, okay, there's another great player too. Um, and another obstacle and another way to try to even get better. Um, mm. But obviously, it's a huge disappointment when you do well and you don't get picked again.
3: But you, you scored 15 goals for club and country in, in 2009-10 season. So, you know, your form was great. Did you think at that time... Yeah, my career is on track. I'm where I want to be. Or were you still not quite happy with with your level at that time?
2: Well, coming back to what we spoke about earlier, I I'm, I never set myself satisfied. I, I always want to try to see where can you improve, how can you get better. Um, so there hasn't been any stage where I've said, okay, I'm settled, I'm happy. I've always wanted to try to push for more, and that's that's how I felt back then. Even though I'd done great, and and I could could say, okay, it's been been quite a decent season so far, mm. um, and and quite a decent year. Then I would look to what can I improve and do better for the next years. So
3: maybe that is linked. If you say that even when you're playing well, scoring goals, you're still not totally happy. It seems like a you're always chasing something, aren't you? And and maybe that sometimes is why you you needed to chase it off the pitch as well.
2: Yeah, I, I mean maybe. I mean I, it wasn't like I was chasing anything. I was just. Off the pitch, I was curious to learn about life and learn more. And on the pitch, I wanted to improve all the time where I could also learn more. So, I mean, it's more, more for me, it's more about improving and learning rather than than anything else. And at the end of t- 2010, you, ha- you had your son, of course, Nicholas. Um,
3: but your private life at that time, which you write about in the book, w- wasn't great. Um, and did that have an effect on your football as well?
2: It it, it definitely did something to me. Um my life off the pitch at that time on the pitch i tried to like separate the two mm. um but at moments you know you can have you know two worlds can crash together and uh, at some points that happened but um i always tried to keep keep it as professional as i could uh and and trying to stay unemotionally attached but obviously that sometimes can be difficult you can talk about like when you have a bad spell on the pitch you know you're trying to get out of it and you think why is there this guy not coming out of it now he's played bad for a month um
3: so um, so yeah is that as a footballer is that frustrating because fans really only care about what's happening on the pitch don't they and, and there's not often very many questions asked about why is this guy not scoring why is this guy out of form and there can be so much going on behind the scenes did Did you find that difficult to cope with? Did you want to say to people, "Look, this is what's going on. this is why this is why my film is like this?
2: Well, I haven't really outspoken much about stuff, and I think that's why I did my well that's why I did my book too, so people could get a get an understanding um I mean first and foremost, we are all humans, so we all have problems and things to deal with, no matter who you are um but obviously when you' are a fan and you sit and you watch. The game. You want your team to be successful. You want your team to win. So when someone is not performing, of course, it's you. You start asking questions, why? But I think you you sometimes have to look to to the bigger picture. You can't perform on on the highest level every game um, at at all times. Did you want to try to explain um, about your private life, or did you want to keep your private life private, secret? No, I didn't want to explain about my private life. I, I just want to keep it there. Um, mm. I mean, that, that little thing you have where you go and you focus on football. I mean, football for me, you have to see it like it's been a way of pure happiness. Those two, three, four, five hours, hours at football, if you can put it that way, was, was a hundred percent happiness. So it wasn't sometimes on, If things came really, really close, it could affect it. But that was like my free space. That was where I felt at home. It was where I was working with other people who was like-minded. And we all had that one thing in our minds is that we need to win on Sunday. And that was all your focus was on that? Yeah.
3: Okay, let's move it on. In in 2011 is when you went on loan to Sunderland. You joined up with your old manager um, at Birmingham, Steve Bruce. Even though it was a loan deal, at the time, did you start to think, My Arsenal career is is over, is coming to an end.
2: At that moment, I didn't think about it. I just thought about, okay, I'm going to Sunderland and I want to improve on my game and I want to try to improve uh, my game and uh, focus uh, in Mm. in Sunderland.
3: So your intention at the time was still to to come back to Arsenal and to make a career at Arsenal? Yes, it was. And did you have the feeling from Arsene Wenger and from from the club that that was still possible at that time?
2: don't remember it quite well, but we didn't speak very often uh, while I was in Sunderland. Um,
3: because the next move is when you went to Juventus, wasn't it? And now yeah. two loan moves away. You can be forgotten, can't you, by your club when you're out on loan? How difficult is it to stay in the minds of, of your club when you're out on loan?
2: I think it, it's different from each player. I mean, if you're a young player, then you have one sort of idea. And if if you're a little bit older, you have another idea. But I think that's something the club deals with internally to see Is is it going through the development that we're hoping? Uh, How is it looking? Is it something we want to bring back? Is something we want to have something to do with? I mean, you see many, many great players these days going out on loan because it's not uh, the right match at the place they are at. But then they are completely successful at another place. And I mean, my Sunderland time was quite successful overall. Um, Unfortunately, when I went to Juve, I got a very, very terrible injury that kept me out for quite a while. Um, But I think that could have been a very successful uh, loan spell as well.
3: Yeah, in in the book, your injuries were beginning to sort of take over at at that time. This is, I think, the place in your career from from reading your book where it looks like a bit of self-doubt is creeping in because you say, uh, will I ever get as good as I should be? And is this the first time in your career that you think, I'm not going to
2: feel, fulfill my potential. I mean, when your body, when your mind tells you you should do something, but your body don't react the same way, then then you know something is wrong. So at that time when I had that horrendous uh, growing tear, uh, I I've, I found it difficult. You know, it was was a very difficult time for me because I loved being at Juventus and I would have liked to to sign there at the time, um, and that didn't happen because of my injury. I mean, that, that self-belief and you can do everything sort of thing uh, as you get older and as you, you felt how you felt, you sort of, you know, get into another space. So, so
3: injuries you have played a part again, and you mentioned this earlier, that at bad times in your career, an injury would stop your progress and, and you know, stop you from moving on. Do you think that that was linked to your lifestyle at all, that the, these injuries? Or did you ever speak to the doctors about it? Do you know why, why it happened?
2: Well, I don't think you can really blame lifestyle and injuries. That can happen on any different occasion. I just think that injuries played a big part, uh, in my career at times too, um, and came on unfortunate, uh, times. But I don't think you can, you can link those two as a direct way of why I got injured. And then you come
3: back to Arsenal and, and you're close to joining Crystal Palace, aren't you? You talk about this as well. Um, right on the transfer deadline day, it looks like it's going to happen. And then Arsene Wenger pulls the plug because he couldn't sign a replacement striker. And you, and you had a row with Arsene Wenger, didn't you, at that time? Yes,
2: we did. I mean, I was very, very happy going to Palace. And uh, we were set four days before the transfer window closed and had agreed on everything. and was just waiting to see if Arsenal could bring in another striker. Mm. Unfortunately, they couldn't, and I had to go back the next day. We we obviously had a heated discussion on the phone uh, due to I didn't want to come back and I would like to sign for Palace, but he couldn't let me go because he was thinking of the great ass, uh of the club and the team. So we were both, you know, he was right, and 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 I want I was right in in in, uh, in brackets, if you know what I mean. Yeah, in your mind, you are right. Yeah. Yeah, because in, in, in that time, the ideal situation would probably have been if they would have gotten in another strike and I could have moved on to Palace. Mm. Um, but that's also sometimes, you know, those career-defining moments. I mean, if I would have gone there, the situation would looked a lot different. So I came back to Arsenal and I played for those, was part of the team, I would say, for six months until I think I scored a winner and got injured uh, with my ankle. And then from that moment, I didn't. Didn't go and play with the first team again.
3: Yeah, that was when Arsene tells you to carry on training, but on match days you're you're free to do what you like. Exactly. How did that hit you when he said those words to you? How did you feel about that? Did it make you more determined to prove him wrong or did you now start to think this isn't going to happen?
2: No, at, at that moment I knew it was over. Mm. Um, completely. There had been too many things at that time that could could solve anything. So for me at that time, it was about just keeping fit. Training, trying to inspire the boys with some good mutes so they would have a good session being professional. Uh, but obviously it was very difficult not being part of the, uh, part of the match day and just, you know, waiting to move.
3: Yeah, must have been a difficult time for you in in the book you you write. I failed because I let other things get in the way too much. All the stuff off the pitch. Is that when you
2: you started to realize that was it just too late for you then? At that time I couldn't I couldn't break into the first team though that 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 time was gone and uh, it was time for me to just focus on what the next thing could be. Mm.
3: But with Arsene Wenger generally, you had a, a good relationship, didn't you? You got him well. I mean, a lot of respect, obviously, um, for him. And you say he's the person that you least want to disappoint. Um, so how, how would you sum up your time with Arsene Wenger?
2: Well, you're right there. I have a huge respect for him. I think he was an amazing manager. And uh, what he did for the club, a club that I've always loved, was phenomenal. And the way he's thinking, I can look back now and saying. He never did anything for himself. He did always everything he could for the club with with his mind on what is best for the club. And and that's very admirable, that he wasn't afraid of taking big decisions in the greater good. And I think that's one of the top traits as a top manager. Even though we had a disagreement, um, I, I have tremendous respect for him and, and what he's done. Do you have any
3: regrets that he... Didn't try to shake you when you were younger and say, "Come on, Nicholas, you know, this is what we want you to do." Or did he say that, and it just didn't go through?
2: We we had meetings about uh, about football and about life in general. Um, mm. He 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 was good. Um, we just didn't hit it off, and then I had some disappointments on the pitch, which was actually the thing that that got me. You know, not starting in the kind Car- Carling Cup yeah. final, for example, after having played a lot there. Um, and, and, other, other little incidents where you got disappointed in not playing. And then obviously this whole situation we spoke about for sort of just spun off of that too. Mm. Um, the two that the World Cup incident as well when I went with Denmark and he told me to stay back, uh, to focus on my career, uh, in Arsenal. Yeah. So, so many things, but, but in general, we had, we had a good relationship.
3: Have you spoken to him lately,
2: recently at all since you left Arsenal? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, it's quite a... No, No, I haven't. Yet, I've seen a few times, but not where we talked. Mm, okay. Um, and
3: just talking of managers, you mentioned Mikel Arteta as well, don't you? About you, you said you don't think you've met many teammates with a greater managerial potential than Arteta. <laughs> <laughs> so you could see that when you were his teammate. I mean, um, why is it? What was it about him that, that made you think he's going to be a manager?
2: No, you're completely right. There. it's just just his whole persona the way he always tried to improve uh, not just himself but try to improve people around him not j- just young players but also the senior players the way he carried himself uh, and and just his personality in general you just knew that he would be a manager one day and um al- already now the the stuff he's doing with Arsenal you can see him trying to put his own footprints in and mm. and and doing it his way, and, and I really hope he will be really successful because I would love to see Arsenal go back uh, in amongst the trophies. Um, so, for sure, he always, all, always had great managerial potential.
3: You never tempted for that yourself, Nicholas? Any uh, management opportunities? Did you ever see yourself going in?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm doing the course in uh, December. So, you do want to go into that? Yes, for sure. And I think. I love everything about football, so obviously I want to try to stay as close as I can. So just keeping your options open, if it's going to be a pundit or if it's going to be a manager, I think it's important just to to take those classes. I'm interested to know how you
3: would, as a manager, have dealt with yourself as a player.
2: The the important thing for me is that with my life, I've learned so much um, and experienced so much. So I think when I get uh, players who also are curious types, then yeah. I hope that my uh, that what I've done can can help them in in a positive way to try and understand that you might you might want to do this, but you you have to to think about your decisions and and trying to take good care of them. Yeah, you can talk about your experiences, I guess, and and spell it out for
3: them. But if we just uh, move on, then after after you you do leave Arsenal permanently, you go to Wolfsburg in Germany, but you come back to Emirates, don't you, for the Emirates Cup? Um, to play once again at Emirates Stadium and at and, and this point of the book you, you seem really full of regret here that what what might have been you say just think what we could have experienced together you're talking about the Arsenal fans what were your overriding emotions when you did come back to play at Emirates again?
2: It was a very emotional return with Balsburg I think also due to I always felt I could have done more uh, mm. and and I felt like I should have done more. Um, so it was a was a difficult uh, situation. But to hear the fans greet me the way that they did, that was a very special moment for me. I didn't expect that. The Super Nick song that they were singing for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and it, it, it put a great smile on my face um, because then I sort of knew that they might Remember all the good and not just the bad. But we did we did have some amazing times together, and 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 I did have some very defining moments and defining mm. games where where I would win the game and stuff. So it 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 really gave me a, a, a big red heart again.
3: Yeah, it was, uh, the relationship with the fans is something that I, I wanted to ask you about because they took you to to their hearts early on. Everyone loves to see a young player come through, someone who obviously is given everything on the pitch um do you feel what do you, how would you sum up the relationship with the arsenal fans over time because obviously fans get frustrated as well what would you say was your relationship like
2: well they should get frustrated if you're not playing well and stuff i think they, they're in the right to get frustrated you as a player you get frustrated too but i think in general i mean i had had huge respect for the fans i thought they were always on our side um and and every second they sang my song or every second I could give them something back with a goal or a victory was was something special. I mean, there's not many people who get to experience that. And the fact that I have and we have had that time together uh, is something special, who, which I hold very dear.
3: And you still got a good relationship online. I know you've got the the sort of Lord Bentner nickname now, which you've... Are you growing to love that yet? Because you didn't really like it at first. Did you thought it was a bit of um, like a figure of fun, did
2: you? It's been quite difficult to explain because no one really knows what it is. Um but now it's taken to other players too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's more like a joke. I think obviously the, the relationship with my ex-girlfriend sort of brought that name on. But um, yeah. I just chose to embrace it.
3: So you're you're happy now with your relationship with the Arsenal fans online? Yeah, I
2: mean from what I can see from my only I only have one profile which is my Instagram. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I'm I'm quite happy with it.
3: And there's so much more um, in the book after you leave Arsenal, lots more drama, um, just, you know, more moves. Uh, and I really would urge everyone to go and read the book because there's so much that we can't we can't cover it all here, unfortunately. But it's obvious that Arsenal remains in your heart. Um, and during when you were writing the book, how how useful was that time to reflect on on everything you did? And, and what would you say you be your main regrets from your time at Arsenal?
2: Well, my main regrets is that we, we did, well, I didn't do more. I would have loved to, to have done more there. Um, that's for sure. I mean, the relationship that I built with some of the people there, with the fans and with the club is something I hold very dear. I'm quite uh, proud of, of my time there. Um, but obviously you don't, you don't leave any situation where you don't think you could have done more. It's very, very common. So there
3: isn't a, a decision that you made you th- you, that you look back on and think, I shouldn't have made that decision.
2: There's many. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but I can't just pinpoint one and say, that's it. Or that's the, the, the defining moment or that should I never done and stuff, you know.
3: Okay, it's a combination of things. what about, let, let's talk about your finish on a high note though. Your happiest memories, you had so many highlights in an Arsenal shirt. What's the first things that come to mind when I ask about highlights?
2: We spoke about it earlier. Obviously, the Tottenham goal uh, yeah. was was a very very big moment. And I just just in general, I had a good time there. Not many people get to want to play for a club, but then to play for the club, and then have sixty thousand people sat there watching your every move. Um, that's something that is very very special. And I'm I'm quite pleased and lucky that I've been good enough to experience that. And and you you mentioned that you're into. Doing your qualifications for
3: coaching, just tell us a little bit about what you're up to at the moment. At the moment,
2: I'm doing a, a TV show with my girlfriend, and then I, I have a, a book tour planned, which should have been this year, but unfortunately couldn't couldn't do it with the, the Corona. Yeah, and then uh, I'm doing my my coaching badges. And I'm playing. Uh, I'm playing old boys with my friends. Is so, uh, I wouldn't consider that playing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> your your careers, your playing career is finished. Would you say?
2: I don't know if it's finished yet, uh, my career days. Um, but at the moment, I'm uh, I'm just uh, enjoying football with my friends, and then we'll see what happens.
0: Thanks a lot to Nicholas for his time and, of course, his honesty. And as we mentioned, you can read much more about his career in his new book, Both Sides, which is out now. That's almost it for this week. Just a reminder to subscribe to In Lockdown via your usual podcast provider so you don't miss any shows and we'd love it if you could leave a rating and review as well while you were there thanks again to our partners at lavatsa remember if you're in the uk you can purchase your favorite coffee at lavatsa.co.uk so we'll be back next tuesday with another in-depth interview this time with the bfg himself per mertesacker so until then thanks for listening
1: it.